previously on The Dropout. There was drama from the jury pool when two women asked to be excused. One was ultimately dismissed, her Buddhist values and concerns around punishment preventing her from serving. We're only a few weeks into the trial, and we've now lost our second juror. Everyone's going to be very mindful of the fact that jurors are starting to leave. And a veteran Silicon Valley investor put the Theranos saga into larger context. The notion that you could raise hundreds of millions of dollars for a medical testing company run by a person under the age of 30 was something that would have been vanishingly unlikely prior to 2000, but didn't seem out of place in the environment of the first decade of this century. This week, we hear from former Theranos COO, Sonny Balwani's dermatologist, who also happened to join Theranos as its lab director, and two retail giants whose deals with Theranos helped propel the company from a startup dream to a big league business. From ABC Audio, this is The Dropout, Elizabeth Holmes on Trial. Episode 9, The Clients. In 2010, Elizabeth Holmes was plodding along, gathering investments and working to make Theranos' supposedly revolutionary technology a reality. But when two major U.S. companies signed on to put Theranos devices in their stores, things got very real, very quickly. Walgreens and Safeway, leaders in the drugstore and grocery businesses, both fell hard and lost big, hundreds of millions of dollars big. This week, we heard from senior executives at the companies, both very taken with a young Elizabeth and her ambitious vision. First up, the longtime leader of Safeway, the supermarket chain with 276 locations in California alone. I'm delighted today to have with us Stephen A. Bird, uh, who is CEO, President, and Chairman of Safeway Corporation. Mr. Bird is a business guru, retail legend, and healthcare visionary. Stephen Bird served as the Safeway CEO for 20 years, from 1993 until his retirement in 2013. Throughout this trial, the defense has been working in overdrive to distance Elizabeth from decision-making and operations, pinning those responsibilities on her former boyfriend and COO, Sonny Belwani. But with Stephen Byrd on the stand, it was hard to make that claim. Elizabeth herself admitted in a 2017 SEC deposition that when it came to Safeway and its CEO Byrd, she played the pivotal role. Who was overseeing that process? Um, I had a very close relationship with Steve Bird at Safeway. Okay, and were any others involved besides Steve Bird? He had a team that worked for him. I well, almost entirely interacted directly with him. When Bird walked into the courtroom to be sworn in, Elizabeth did something we haven't seen her do in this trial. Instead of staring straight ahead, she turned her entire body to watch as he walked in. Here's ABC News producer Miles Cohen, who was in the courtroom. It looked almost as if she was trying to catch his eye, and she continued to do so as he walked to the stand, but it never looked like she got it. When Byrd took the stand, he frequently reiterated his close connection to Elizabeth, testifying to his early admiration. There are very few people that I've met in business that I would actually say are charismatic, he said. 
She was clearly charismatic. She was very smart. And she was doing one of the hardest things that you can do in business. And that's to create an enterprise from scratch. Bird said that not all CEOs are alike, that Elizabeth would rise to the top of the pile in terms of vision, in terms of command of the information. When she was talking, Bird told the jury, she owned the room. He even compared Elizabeth to presidents he'd met. I've had the, I guess, the privilege of meeting four U.S. presidents, he said. When the president is in the room, let me just tell you, the president owns the room. Elizabeth had that quality too, Bird said. But in addition to that star power, Elizabeth was warm, friendly, and a good listener, testified Bird. Santa Clara University Law School professor Ellen Kreitzberg says Bird's orientation towards Elizabeth made his testimony all the more valuable to the government's case. He didn't speak in an angry tone or an indignant tone. Most people would think of a CEO of a large corporation like Safeway as someone who would demand compliance and would lash out when it's not happening the way he would want it to happen. But that clearly wasn't Mr. Byrd's style, and it's not what he did with Theranos. The prosecution took Byrd back to the early days of Safeway's relationship with Theranos. Safeway was nearly a 100-year-old company. Theranos was a hot startup. In her 2017 SEC deposition, Elizabeth talked about the shared vision between the two companies. Why was Theranos interested in entering into a contract with Safeway? At a high level, it was another vehicle for building a retail footprint and with our focus on people's access to health information, we thought it could be really meaningful to help people start linking diet to their health data. Okay. And did you have any understanding as to why Safeway wanted to enter into a relationship with Theranos? My understanding is that they shared that vision and um, also were interested in ways to expand their and differentiate their pharmacy. But Bird said it wasn't just an inspired CEO that excited him. It was what she was selling, a revolutionary solution. According to the government and Bird's own testimony, Elizabeth told Safeway her mini blood analyzer had the ability to replace a full-scale lab to do almost every blood test imaginable in a box. In presentations, Theranos said explicitly it could run any blood test from the mini lab and included the oft-repeated inaccurate claim that Theranos systems have been comprehensively validated over the course of the last seven years by 10 of the 15 largest pharmaceutical companies. Bird said he was especially excited by the promise of a miniature blood analyzer that could deliver speedy test results and present customers with a cheaper option. He could envision his customers walking into Safeway, getting a Theranos blood test, doing some grocery shopping, and walking out of the store with their food and their test results. Bird saw this as an important competitive advantage. He knew Walgreens was in discussions with Theranos, too, at the time. And as he told the court, it was important that they not get out ahead of us. The plan was to stack Theranos devices on top of one another inside the store and build out a special multi-bay device just for Safeway, something Elizabeth also addressed in her SEC deposition. What was the purpose in designing that device? 
That was in response to Safeway's request to invest in and develop a specific version of Minilab that could fit into the cabinets that they were building in the Safeway stores. What, what happened to the development of the multi-bay? Um, we stopped it at a certain point, and I, I don't remember when and why specifically we stopped. According to Bird, Theranos also shared wildly optimistic revenue projections with Safeway, claiming the grocery chain could reasonably expect to generate sales of $223 million in 2011, $464 million in 2012, and nearly a billion dollars by 2013 if the two companies did a deal. Throughout Bird's testimony, he reiterated it was always Elizabeth herself sharing data and negotiating with Safeway. Who did you negotiate with from Theranos, Prosecutor Robert Leach asked. It was almost exclusively with Elizabeth Holmes, said Bird. If anything struck Bird as unusual during these negotiations, it was the fact we never saw an attorney, he testified. Elizabeth seemed to be negotiating the deal completely on her own, he said. In September 2010, after six months of discussions, Safeway entered into a contract with Theranos. The agreement granted Safeway exclusivity and Theranos a payment of $55 million. But it didn't take long for the Theranos sheen to start fading. While Theranos had projected Safeway would make a windfall in new revenue by 2011, By 2012, there still wasn't even a product to roll out. Bird testified he was growing frustrated. Deadlines were continuing to be missed. We often weren't given a lot of explanation for that, he said. Elizabeth at one point blamed the delays on clandestine work for the Department of Defense. She told me her device was in medevac units around the world in places that, you know, a lot of Americans didn't even know we were, Bird testified. These claims were new to Byrd, but we've now heard them a number of times before, discredited by Elizabeth herself under oath in front of the SEC. What about the DOD, the Department of Defense? Um, We had board members who were very engaged on talking to people within DOD, but we never really focused on getting those systems off the ground because we were so focused on the retail deployments. Was it ever deployed in a medevac helicopter? No. Meantime, in 2012, Theranos, as part of a pilot phase, was running a clinic for employees at Safeway's headquarters. But to Bird's surprise, many of the tests were being done as traditional Venus draws, not the revolutionary finger stick tests he was promised. Bird said he asked Elizabeth what was going on, and she told him it was because they wanted to continue to test and calibrate. Of course, as we've now heard from multiple witnesses, the reality was Theranos' device, which they were calling a TSPU at the time, could only ever run 12 tests. Something Elizabeth didn't share with Safeway, according to her own SEC deposition. Are you aware of ever informing Safeway that the TSPU was performing 12 tests? I don't think we had any discussions with them about what we were doing in the clinical lab. Many tests were being run on third-party devices and modified third-party devices, something Bird said he didn't know and would have been a deal-breaker. Not only was Theranos mostly using Venus draws, but the results were frequently taking more than four days. 
We had samples where temperature was not properly controlled. We had samples that were lost. We had results that didn't make any sense, Bird testified. He wrote to Elizabeth in September 2012. I am genuinely concerned that Safeway's lab reputation gets worse by the day. Keep in mind, I have now required that our employees and their nearby dependents use this lab. The sooner we get to fingerstick, the better we will be. According to the same email, Theranos had also been ignoring calls from Safeway. By the following month, October 2012, Bird had become increasingly frustrated, writing to Elizabeth in an email. If you have already decided it is not going to happen until next year, I would like to know. While it would be very unfortunate to not launch in Q4, it looks pretty remote. I feel like a jogger running in place, waiting for the stoplight to turn green. Elizabeth's response was vague. She said she was debriefing on it with her team and that she'd call Bird over the weekend. But by November, nothing seemed to have changed. An even more disheartened Bird wrote to Elizabeth in an email with the subject, becoming discouraged. In it, he said, I can only recall having been discouraged once in the last 62 years. That said, I am getting close to my second event. Elizabeth responded with another excuse. She said, don't be discouraged and then described it as an unusual time and told him she'd ended up having to take an employee to the hospital who came down with internal bleeding in the office. At the start of 2013, Theranos still hadn't moved forward with the Safeway rollout, but the startup had completed a different task that incensed Bird. Theranos had redesigned the signage that would appear at Safeway stores without Bird's final approval. In an email to Elizabeth, he wrote, I cannot begin to tell you how disappointed I am that you redesigned the word mark without ever telling us you were doing it. Bird went on to lay out all the issues Safeway was having with Theranos, but in his typical positive fashion, he concluded with encouragement. I believe in you. I believe in your company and I share your vision. I want so much to help you change the world. We are so good together when we collaborate but I have never been more frustrated, he wrote to Elizabeth. In the end, Bird would never get to change the world with Elizabeth. He retired from Safeway in May 2013, never seeing a Theranos box make it into one of his stores. Did Theranos ever end up rolling out its services in Safeway stores? No. The deal that was supposed to secure nearly a billion dollars in new revenue for Safeway and perhaps put Stephen Bird in the CEO Hall of Fame, ultimately cost the grocery store chain more than $300 million because of its investments in Theranos and preparing stores for a rollout that never came to be. And it never added a dime to Safeway's bottom line. After Prosecutor Leach concluded with Bird, the defense was up and Robert Downey began the cross-examination by juxtaposing Safeway the established brand, with Theranos, a young startup. You knew at the time she was a very young entrepreneur, correct? Downey asked. Yes, Bird replied. Downey emphasized Safeway's strong executive team. You had a lot of people who had a lot of experience in business, Downey asked. That's correct, Bird replied. Downey highlighted Bird's background in private equity, framing him as a skilled negotiator. Here's law professor Ellen Kreitzberg again. 
On cross-examination, the, the defense raised a couple of important points to show the unequal position, essentially, between Safeway and Theranos. He brought out the fact that Safeway was very interested in making money on this project, that their stock prices had dipped several points during the couple of month period these negotiations took place. And Safeway was looking at this partnership in order to bring up their stock prices and their image in, in the corporate world. And finally, that they really knew that there was the possibility of delays because they were dealing with technology and that they know with technology, there's always a little bit of uncertainty. Downey showed the jury a presentation by Byrd to Safeway's board outlining the risks associated with Theranos, stressing that Safeway knew what it was getting into before signing a deal. So is it fair to say that in the process of considering whether to do a deal, Safeway did hundreds of hours of due diligence, Downey asked. At least a hundred, Bird replied. Downey also emphasized that according to the agreement, Safeway could end the contract with Theranos without cause. The cross-examination was quick compared to others. It lasted a little over an hour. But in the end, Kreitzberg believes Bird came off as a credible witness. It seemed that one of the most important facts that was elicited by the government of Mr. Byrd was that if Mr. Byrd knew that third-party machines were going to be used, he was not interested. And that point alone, that he was never told that they were going to be using different machines other than the Theranos machines, uh, was not contradicted. So that's an important point to show that he was given either misinformation or unreliable information as to how the testing was going to be done. Hey, this is Brad Milkey. I host ABC's daily news podcast, Start Here. The Dropout will be back in a minute, but first. Some folks don't stop searching till they find the truth. If you've got a detective's eye, June's Journey is the game for you. Play as June Parker in a gripping murder mystery as you find hidden objects to help solve her sister's death. You'll hunt for clues in hundreds of beautifully illustrated scenes set in the roaring 20s. New chapters are added weekly. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android and iOS mobile devices as well as on PC through Facebook games. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. I want to invite you to start your day with us. Every morning on Start Here, we dive deep into the biggest news stories with some of the best journalists in the world. It's smart, it's relevant, and maybe most importantly for you, it's quick. Again, that's Start Here, the daily podcast from ABC News. Available wherever you listen. With former Safeway CEO Stephen Byrd's testimony concluded, an executive from Theranos' other most high-profile client took the stand. Wade Michelon, the CFO of Walgreens, the second largest pharmacy chain in the country. Here's Elizabeth in that 2017 SEC deposition. 
What was Nicolon's role at Walgreens? I, I remember him as the CFO, but I know he sort of spearheaded a number of strategic initiatives there. Michelon worked for Walgreens between 2009 and 2014, and he was the one who oversaw the pharmacy chain's deal with Theranos as it came together in 2010. Like Bird, Michelon spoke of his initial awe at what Theranos was selling. This was one of the most exciting companies we had seen, not just in the lab, but in general, he testified. What they were doing was very disruptive and could be better, faster, and cheaper than what had been done before. Michelon said he thought Theranos' compact blood testing device was attractive and Walgreens could leverage it in their 8,000 stores without having to add extra space. And like Safeway, Walgreens sank millions of dollars into the partnership, about $140 million. Both companies seem to exhibit a sort of corporate FOMO. But unlike Safeway, Theranos actually did end up rolling out Theranos' technology in 41 of its locations, putting the blood testing startup in contact with millions of real-life patients. It would ultimately be the only significant commercial partnership Theranos ever launched in stores. Michelon described his first meeting with Elizabeth and Sonny at Theranos' Palo Alto headquarters in March 2010, where he recalled, both Elizabeth and Sonny would chime in. Remember, this is the meeting lab consultant Kevin Hunter, who worked closely with Michelon to evaluate Theranos on behalf of Walgreens, told us about in season one. It was filled with pomp and circumstance and insinuations of Theranos's close ties to the military. When we were there, we were joined by the CFO of Walgreens, Wade Michelon, and they presented the flag that had flown over Afghanistan. And Elizabeth made a big deal about it. Just as Elizabeth had bluffed about Theranos' work with the Department of Defense to others like Safeway CEO, Michelon testified he too was told Theranos was doing work with the military. After the first meeting, Elizabeth sent Michelon an email. An email Michelon testified he remembered well. When Elizabeth was asked in a deposition about the same email, her recollections were notably spottier. We say, Wade, it was great to meet you. As promised, please find the presentation that we presented today. Uh, do you recall what uh, meeting you were having that day and who it was with? I don't. Uh, it sounds like Mr. Michelon attended. Do you know if anyone else did? I don't remember. In that 2010 email to Michelon, Elizabeth included a lot of information about Theranos. Prosecutor Jeffrey Shank drew the court's attention to the first bullet point, which said Theranos technology runs comprehensive blood tests from a finger stick in real time at the point of care outside of traditional lab settings. In her deposition with the SEC, Elizabeth was asked about this same point. By comprehensive, were you trying to convey that it could do all routine lab tests? That a patient could use Theranos' technology to run a whole range of tests that um, would otherwise be available through you know, any commercial lab? I, I don't think that's what this specific bullet point was referring to. I think this bullet point was just... Like other witnesses before him, the government went over with Michelon many of the bold claims made by Elizabeth and Theranos 
and the inconsistencies between what he was told and the reality. Here's law professor Ellen Kreitzberg again. The government spent a good deal of time showing the slide presentations that Theranos gave to Walgreens. And there were a couple of key points. The government then took each of those points and and dove into them, establishing or attempting to establish why those representations were not true. Michelon talked about the excitement inside of Walgreens, the fact the pharmacy chain had codenamed the partnership Project Beta, something Walgreens lab consultant Kevin Hunter also recalled. We all had shirts made up from when they did Project Beta and everybody got a nickname and I was called the expert. Do you still have the expert t-shirt? I do. Michelon testified about a meeting with Elizabeth and Sonny where he'd had his finger pricked to showcase what the Theranos technology could do. Something Hunter also remembered when we spoke. When we were out there with them, they drew Wade Michelon's blood and they were gonna send him results. And then they came back and said, well, we can't give you the results because we didn't have a doctor's order. And like this cat and mouse game would go back and forth for weeks. Michelon's results were eventually delivered by a physician at a later time. But the bottom line in Michelon's mind, as he testified, was Theranos' technology worked perfectly. Here's Ellen Kreitzberg. One thing we have to keep in mind as we listen to all these pieces of evidence that come in one at a time is put that up and juxtapose during those conversations with Safeway and Walgreens, what was going on at Theranos lab? And we have to go back to the testimony of Dr. Rosendorf, who was describing chaos or failures or inadequate standards that are going on at the same times of these conversations. And when you put it through that lens, these outcomes were not possible and were not reliable. Um, That's what gives the government a strong case at this point. When it came time for the cross-examination, defense attorney Kevin Downey tried to show the Theranos partnership with Walgreens evolved over time and that Michelon had been aware of this. Michelon acknowledged he knew Theranos had multiple generations of machines and was working on future iterations. Technology's always an evolution, Michelon said. The defense presented emails from Michelon sent after he'd already left Walgreens in 2014 that showed even as Theranos' public reputation was in question, Michelon stood firm in his devotion to the young CEO. Downey read an email to the court that Michelon sent Elizabeth in 2015. We live in a world where anyone can say anything about anyone, whether true or not. Hang in there. The haters are everywhere, but your contributions to the world cannot be bottled up. Michelon advised Elizabeth to fight back aggressively and signed the email, your friend. Elizabeth seemingly kept up that fight, making public appearances, including this interview with CNN's Sanjay Gupta, which turned out to be pretty damning for Theranos. There's this um, uh, man who goes by the initials RC right now in Arizona, who is suggesting that the lab results that he got from Theranos were not accurate, and it led to him having a heart attack. Based on what you know, is it possible that what he's saying is true? I'm not the lab director, and so... I know, but you're the CEO and founder of the company. I mean, this is as serious as it gets. After the interview, Michelon sent Elizabeth another email, writing, Nice job with Dr. Gupta. Don't stop working to help the world. Michelon signed off this note with a smiley face. Elizabeth responded, 
You know how much that means to me. Hope all is wonderful with you. Even after reports Elizabeth was being investigated by regulators, Michelon wrote to her, the universe has an odd way of preparing very special people for even bigger missions ahead. That's how it goes for special people like you. You are going to help so many people during your lifetime, it's absurd. Don't lose sight of that. I'm so very proud to be your friend. Keep rocking and keep being you. I think the emails that Michelin ended up writing to Elizabeth Holmes after he left the company, even two years later, show that he has no anger or animosity towards her. It, it makes him a more objective witness for the government. A lot of the defense theory is that some of these witnesses now have an ax to grind. But with the Safeway CEO and with Walgreens, that just didn't happen. They clearly both had affection for and an interest in Elizabeth Holmes and her success. Michelon testified that he very much believed in Elizabeth and what she was up to, that he cared about her very much and wanted her to be successful. Remember, there were others at the same meetings as Michelon, like lab consultant Kevin Hunter, who said they didn't buy into everything that Elizabeth Holmes was selling. There was just several things that were, you know, questions that we would ask that neither Sonny nor Elizabeth could respond to. Hunter told us he raised concerns, but Michelon and others forged ahead anyway. It was something that people wanted it to be real so badly that, you know, they were willing to kind of take people's word for some of this stuff. Could that hurt the government's case? Really, when you look at what the charges are, it's did Elizabeth Holmes make misrepresentations and did she do it with the intent to defraud? We need to look at not at the failures of Safeway and Walgreens if they existed, but we need to look more at what was Elizabeth Holmes doing. Walgreens would officially end its partnership with Theranos in 2016, suing the disgraced tech company and reaching a tentative $30 million settlement with no finding or implication of liability. It was a far cry from the $140 million they'd originally put in. Before the government moved on from Walgreens, prosecutors called the drugstore chain's vice president of healthcare services to testify. Nimesh Javeri was in charge of overseeing the rollout of the wellness centers inside Walgreens stores. He was overseeing the construction that was going to happen at the stores, the design, the layout, the training of employees, and also to monitor the customer experience. And so he was asked to talk about Theranos' failures in many of these areas to show, although Theranos promised that they would be able to deliver on a lot of these issues, they fell short in a lot of ways. Ellen Kreitzberg says he raised a key point. The one thing Mr. Javeri made clear is that he did not know that outside machines were going to be used. And this was an important component to Walgreens in the same way it was an important piece in the Safeway partnership that if outside machines were going to be used, they were really not interested in pursuing this project. Remember that during all the mayhem with the Walgreens rollout, inside Theranos, plaintiff's witnesses testified that there was chaos. For almost a week, the company was even operating without a lab director after lab director Dr. Adam Rosendorf had left in protest. 
As Dr. Rosendorf's replacement, Theranos hired Dr. Sunil Dewan. His background? Dermatology. In fact, Dr. Dewan had been Sonny's personal dermatologist for 15 years. Dr. Dewan on the stand told the court he'd accepted the role at the request of Sonny. In an email shown to jurors, Sonny wrote, Sunil, the time commitment is very minimal. This will be mostly an on-call consulting role, and I am extremely confident that it won't interfere with your work or with your family life. This will be one to three months. Dr. Dewan replied, I can do this. What is next step? Dr. Dewan, who joined Theranos in November 2014, about a year into the Walgreens launch, was paid $5,000 a month, which he earned in stock options. He told the court he came on board knowing very little about what Theranos actually did. When you were thinking about taking this job to work at Theranos, you obtained information about what Theranos did by looking on Google? Prosecutor Shank asked. Basically, yes, replied Dr. Dewan. You might think a lab director in the early phases of a company's most consequential partnership would be working around the clock. But here's what actually happened at Theranos for the roughly eight months after Dewan's hiring. Did you go to Theranos every day? Shank asked. No, Dr. Dewan replied. How many times did you go to Theranos during that period of time? Dr. Dewan thought about it. Maybe a total of two times. That's right. Dr. Dewan estimated he'd worked for Theranos a combined five or 10 hours over an eight month period as its lab director. Dr. Dewan further testified he had no interactions in that period with doctors, patients, or even lab employees. In August, 2015, Dr. Dewan said Daniel Young, the de facto number three at Theranos at the time, started sending him documents to sign, hundreds of them. Then in September, 2015, Dr. Dewan was asked to come into the office for a government audit. Just a week before, Sonny had asked him to come in and sign 300 SOPs, standard operating procedure documents. This is despite the fact that, as Dr. Dewan testified, he'd never seen a Theranos device run a blood test. Dr. Dewan said he was comfortable signing because Dr. Rosendorf, his predecessor, had already done so. His signature was everywhere, so I was essentially co-signing, he testified. At the government audit, 10 months after Dewan had started, he met Elizabeth for the first time. As Dewan told the court, his interactions with her were limited to saying hello. You signed on in November 2014, and September 21st, 2015 was the first time you met Ms. Holmes, the prosecution asked. Yes, said Dr. Dewan. Behind the scenes, as that two-day government audit went down, Sonny and Elizabeth were furiously texting with each other. Their messages were read aloud in court. We've seen some of these messages before, but never performed live. Here's ABC News producer Miles Cohen. When they were reading the text, there was silence. Everyone's attention was focused on the dialogue. And every once in a while, there was a, a nervous chuckle. There was a text that Balwani had sent to Holmes that said, love you too. There were a few nervous laughs after he said that. In the midst of the audit on September 22, 2015, Sonny texted, 
very hostile so far. They say have complaints. Then later, our validation reports are terrible, really painful going through this process. And then the next day he texted, going bad so far, pray. Elizabeth responded, praying, praying continually. When the prosecution asked Dr. Dewan if he knew Sonny or Elizabeth were praying during the inspection, Dr. Dewan responded, I was not aware of that, no. Soon after, Dr. Dewan said he started to learn about serious issues at Theranos and problems with the Walgreens partnership, not from Sonny, but from media reports. When a Financial Times reporter reached out to Dr. Dewan, he forwarded the email to Sonny who replied, don't answer any questions as they will trap you or misquote you. We are trying to get on top of the situation and release our statement to refute the falsehoods. During the cross-examination, defense attorney Lance Wade emphasized that Dr. Dewan was qualified to be a lab director, that he was hired specifically to be part-time as needed, something that didn't break any regulatory standards. Wade pointed out the fact that another employee, Dr. Lynette Sawyer, was added to the lab license as co-lab director during part of Dr. Dewan's time there. But Dr. Dewan said he'd never met her and didn't even recall her name. When asked about documents Dr. Sawyer had signed off on, Dr. Dewan said he couldn't offer an opinion or verify that she was qualified to be a lab director because he hadn't known about her. He added, I was never aware that she was signing off on all of these. Dr. Sawyer's name was removed from the lab license in August 2015, the same month Dr. Dewan was suddenly asked to sign all those documents. Then came the government audit in September. Ten months later, Dr. Dewan said he received a forwarded email from Theranos General Counsel Heather King that pointed to issues with the regulator's findings. Dr. Dewan testified it was the first time he was hearing anything about the audit results. Perhaps even more odd, Dr. Dewan said he had no idea when his employment at Theranos came to an end. Was there a moment when you stopped being the lab director at Theranos, the prosecution asked? I am not sure what that date was, honestly, Dr. Dewan responded. In fact, according to Dr. Dewan, no one at Theranos told him he'd been terminated. His tenure at the company had ended as ambiguously and bizarrely as it had started. Dr. Dewan's time with Theranos was done. And as of June 2016, Walgreens was done with Theranos too. The partnership, with all its supposed promise, was over. With Dr. Dewan, everything starts turning upside down, really, because he's Sonny Balwani's dermatologist. He doesn't seem to have the same kind of credentials or experience in the area of managing a lab. And it's the government putting another piece on that at this point, Theranos is running out of time, running out of money, and is trying to push forward anyway. Next week on The Dropout, Elizabeth Holmes on trial. We'll hear from one of the so-called Therabros, an old friend of Elizabeth's brother, Dan Edlin. Recall Dan was Theranos' senior project manager and one of many people recruited to the company by Elizabeth's brother, Christian. Now, you came to the company because you knew Christian Holmes, who was your fraternity brother at Duke, correct? Correct. You were involved in proposals for the Department of Defense. 
What happened with the relationships with the DOD? Did they ever go forward? They stopped it at some point because there was no you know, realistic path forward with them. Tune in next Tuesday for that. Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Belwani did not respond or decline to comment for this podcast. The Dropout Elizabeth Holmes on Trial is written and reported by Victoria Thompson, Taylor Dunn, and me. Victoria is the executive producer. Taylor and I are the producers. For ABC Audio, Susie Lewis, producer, and Madeline Wood and Marwa Milwaukee are associate producers. Dia Athen and Miles Cohen are our court producers. For ABC's business unit, our associate producer is Victor Ardonez, and our production assistant is Lane Wynn. Mixing and scoring is by Susie Liu and Evan Viola. Evan also composed the music for The Dropout. Our artwork is by Teddy Blanks at Chips NY and Cedric Honstadt. For ABC Audio, Liz Alessi is executive producer. Special thanks to Josh Cohan, Elizabeth Russo, Ian Rosenberg, Eric Avram, and Stacia Deshishku. Be sure to subscribe to The Dropout Podcast. And if you like what you heard, leave us a review. It really does help. Listen to new episodes every Tuesday.